0: Finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up, and he went completely out of his mind. This is Dried Up Brain, and I'm Nate.
1: And I'm Andrea.
0: And this is a podcast where we read things, and then we talk to each other about the things that we read.
1: And I'm a librarian, and Nate's a writer.
0: Yes. She's also my mom. Right. So you know I'm super cool. (laughs) Uh, this, for this episode, we went back to The Sandman, which we've been reading for a while now, and we read Volume 5, A Game of You, which is written by Neil Gaiman, with pencils by Sean McManus, Colleen Duran, Brian Talbot, and Sean McManus. Sorry, I'll set him twice. And colors by Daniel Vazo, and just Daniel Vazo And inks by Sean McManus, George Pratt, Dick Giordano, and Stan Woke, or Watch, or Woach, Don't know how to say that guy's name.
1: 10 to 1, we're saying it wrong.
0: And all the letters are by Todd Klein.
1: So this is volume 5, and it was written and produced in 1991 up until 1993. And it's issues 32 to 37. And it's another one of those self-sustained arches. So it's listed in the volume as chapters, and then each chapter has its individual name. And this is the story of Barbie and her experience in the dream world that she creates. I thought this was interesting because when I was doing some research on it, a lot of people were saying that it was part, it was a, the second part of a three part arch, which was the first one was the doll's house. And then this one, and then the third part was the kindly ones, which we'll get to later.
0: Uh, yeah, I guess I could see that this one I feel like is the least connected to that arc because the doll's house sets up a lot of the stuff that happens directly in the kindly ones and this sets up a little bit but i think it's more just like you know it's, it, this more just sort of like establishes this situation and fleshes out some of the players that are going to be important in the kindly ones namely the kindly ones and dream himself
1: i think that when i comp- when i real when i looked more at what was similar to the doll's house and a game of you I found more similarities between the Doll's House than the Kindly ones. And I thought maybe, like, the Doll's House volume was almost like a tipping off point for this game of you. There are some similar characters. There's a similar construct in that it takes place in this multi-roomed house that's shared by different people. Um, Barbie is obviously from the Doll's House. Um... Is Wanda from the Dolls no. no, but Wanda is a very similar character to one of the characters in the dolls house
0: There's some thematic overlap, especially in her dreams between her and Hal and then Scarlet, the unseen owner of the boarding house in a Game of you, is explicitly identified as a friend of Hal's right and there's another character which we'll talk about later as the series go on as the our discussion of the story goes on who is very directly connected to a character from The Doll's House, and also a character from 24 Hours. I would say that in my mind, the way it goes is, The Doll's House has its own thing. A Game of You is kind of a sequel to The Doll's House. And I sort of see The Kindly Ones as just a story in the comic Sandman, in which the events of Game of You and Doll's House have happened. But I don't really see it as, like, a sequel, and I'm not really sure how to explain that.
1: I thought the only connection that I could make between all three of them... Is all three of the volumes are overwhelmingly POV female? Sure, yeah. There's a strong, I mean, this one is the most female centric. It has the most female characters. The plot is explicitly like intertwined with female culture and women's relationships. I see that a lot with Doll's House because it's a story of the family, the Walker family, the three women their introduction to the kindly ones i don't really see the kindly ones in this unless they're kind of really cloaked
0: uh they have played one specifically very big role right but at one point and they're huge assholes and we'll talk about that
1: yeah yeah i think i think i know exactly what point you're talking to but this really is like i mean i think with neil gaiman you really it's very easy to tell when he is writing from what he considers a female perspective and what he considers a male perspective. And this volume is pretty much all of the action is driven by the results of the decisions that the women make. And there's so many different kinds of women and women's roles and women's identities in this volume. I also think it's kind of a little cutting edge in that it addresses a lot of issues that at that time were just starting to be... Yeah. Um, brought to the light but now are really forefront in like our culture and what we're talking about about transgender and identities and self proclaiming your sexual orientation I think this is all very important and it deals a lot with women and women's roles in society and their this sort of concept of a women's culture where women take care of themselves and they take care of each other and I think that sort of is really prevalent in this issue,
0: yeah just, do you want well, it's the
1: feminist issue that's what, the way I like to look at it
0: do you want get do you just want to get into the story? Yeah, yeah, so part one is uh called slaughter, slaughter on Fifth Avenue yep. and so the bulk of this issue what we get is uh cutting between Barbie and catching up on her. She's moved to New York after divorcing Ken. From who was her husband in the doll's house. Uh, she doesn't dream anymore. And she lives in this boarding house with a few other women and one creepy dude named George. And her story is intercut with the story of the characters we briefly glimpsed in her dream world in the doll's house, specifically this giant cat-dog thing named Martin Tenbones, who travels... You find out that their world is under siege... From some mysterious threat called the Cuckoo. And Barbie has been missing and her presence is needed to save the world. So Martin Tenbones takes this sort of magical MacGuffin called the Porpentine. And travels into the real world to find Barbie. And so we get her story of her just kind of going through this day in New York. Intercut with Martin Tenbones. Search for her. And then they eventually converge.
1: Yep, that's a good summation it's also important to note that barbie has moved into a multi-apartment house it's like a brownstone has been converted into a house yeah and there's people who live in the house there's wanda
0: yeah do you want to go through the we'll go through the people like we did with for the dollhouse so like the first one that we meet is wanda who's the best character in this volume
1: oh yeah she's definitely my favorite
0: she's in the running for maybe one of my favorite sandman characters She is a trans woman, and I think the thing with her is like, you know, some big quotes around fair for its time. I think this, for its time, for the early 90s, I think this is an incredibly well done portrayal of a trans woman. And I think there's really nothing wrong with the characterization of Wanda herself. I think some of the, there's some missteps, I think, in the way she's handled in the story. There's a lot of characters who unnecessarily call out her gender expression. There's a dream that is, we'll we'll get to that.
1: I think what's interesting about Wanda, we talked a lot about this when I was, when I was talking about this issue, when I was at work and we were having lunchtime discussions, we talked a lot about Wanda. And one of the things that kept coming up was that, and it's not justification for the way that some of the characters interact with Wanda later on, but, in the early 90s when it was first coming to light and people were people more in mainstream not just in certain communities but mainstream were learning more about transsexuals and the experiences and the struggles that they go through the the type of surgery that they would go through was often risky and it wasn't endorsed and it wasn't sort of covered by mainstream medical insurance so I could see Wanda being afraid to have that surgery.
0: That's not my problem. So I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but there's a part in the story where the characters all have dreams that are tied to their anxieties. And Wanda's dream deals very heavily with her anxiety about gender reassignment surgery. And I don't necessarily have a problem with that because I know for a fact, even now, that is a thing that a lot of trans women, well, you know, I'll say surgery in general is a thing that a lot of trans people have anxiety about. I know that from, People I know personally expressing that anxiety to me. My, my thing with it is it's like, it's reasonable that she would have that dream, but part of me is like, is Neil Gaiman the person that needs to comment on this? Because it's potentially very dicey. And I don't think he overplays his hand or anything, but it is like, I could see somebody who is experiencing that anxiety or whose experience is closer to Wanda is reading that and being unnecessarily, uh, put on edge by its presence in the book when it really isn't super necessary like it's really not like her arc we learn that she's anxious about surgery but it's really not like her arc is about that
1: well i think it goes back to just goes back to to the doll's house is neil gaiman the best person to be writing about the experience of male predatory techniques on women I mean, is he the best person to be talking about the, you know, the multiple times that Rose is preyed upon by male figures in her life? No, he probably is not the best person. He may not be the best person, but all the things that he seems like he's not the best person to talk about things are things that deal specifically with women or transgender or something like that.
0: I think, like I said, this is obviously, I think, super well-meaning. Like, the, it's clear that the book and the writer's take is that, you know, Wanda is a woman, and she's valid, and she's probably the best, like, morally the best person in this story, and she's, you know, got her own identity and agency. My thing with, like I said, it's just like, there's lots of stuff in this that's like, Mm, if this was happening now, you'd I would hope would be handled a little bit better. Yeah.
1: But you know what I think it is. I think that the male characters in this volume, their behavior is exaggerated because they are the stereotypes of men that treat women in a way like. There's an episode. Beso- really, only well, we- no. Later on in the thing, when oh, when she when. Barbie goes to the comic book store and she has an interaction with the male clerk. And, you know, so, and and then when she's in the the diner and she gets sort of sexually harassed by these men because she comes out in this provocative outfit, I feel like they're kind of like, that's to show like this sort of interaction that these types of men are having with women. But let's not, let's not get into like a gender argument during this because we're talking about... The story. So let's get back to yeah.
0: Well, I will say the the, re- the reactions of the men didn't bother me so much. Like I I was okay with the part with the comic book store clerk because like I think that is a thing that Neil Gaiman is perfectly capable and should ta- be talking about. Like men in the in these circles, like comic book fandom and the comic book industry, should be willing to call out the toxic people that pervade it.
1: And I think that's what he's trying to do. Maybe he's miss missing the mark, but I think that's what he's trying to do. Like when George starts baiting Wanda later in the volume yeah. and talk and preying on her insecurities about being perceived as a woman, I think that's sort of like a heightened version of the kind of experiences that she would have being out as a woman.
0: Well here's so here okay, here's the things that I actually have a problem with. I think that the dream is well meaning, but I like I when Neil Gaiman is a cis man and I am a cis man and I don't think either. I am not capable of judging whether or not that dream was well done I feel like it was maybe as well done as it could have been but I worry that it's like potentially you know it potentially ra- raises some unnecessary I like with associations it. with trauma and then my other problem really is just that one part where uh Hazel very unnecessarily draws attention to Wanda's penis. Like that's the other thing where I was like, why?
1: But well, see, <laughs> I have, I have a theory about Hazel
0: that she's mega stupid.
1: Maybe, but anyway, I feel like we're overloading the top of this discussion well, yeah, well, we're with talking this about... heavy political yeah, discussion, sure. and it's kind of like it's. I'm not saying it's not valid to have this discussion, but what I'm saying is. If you tune in to hear about the Sandman and you hear... Sure, we'll... Nate talk about transgender rights, then you may not... You might be saying, like, when are they going to talk about the
0: Sandman? Sure, sure. So, okay, so the people in the the house, there's Wanda, who is Barbie's closest friend. She shows up to take her on a no-money shopping trip to Tiffany's, where they're just going to hang around and loiter. And then... Barbie asks her to make some coffee for her, and then that is used as a framing device to meet the rest of the people in the house. Right. So there's Thessaly, who is mysterious and wears big glasses and only has soy milk, and then we'll learn what her deal is later. There's but She's
1: sort of perceived as a goody-two-shoes
0: nerdy. She looks like a Mormon.
1: Yeah, she's kind of like a student of some point, and she's just sort of...
0: Yeah. And then there's Hazel and Foxglove. Who are a couple and Hazel is dumb and dependent on I mean, maybe that's me but I don't she's, think
1: she's dumb. I think she's naive. And I think I that guess. I think that's purposely done because that's a problem in society of having women who are not educated and aware of their own identity and their own reproductive needs and health.
0: I guess. I think the thing is, I read her, like, to me, she just read as, like, the meathead boyfriend who happens to be a girl.
1: I don't see that because she's not tough. No. I could see that if she was tough, but she's not. So, Foxglove is actually...
0: Do you want to talk about that now or when the dream's that
1: Okay, that's fine. We'll talk about that. But she's
0: the other member. She's more self-assured. Like, when they meet up... And Wanda is getting the. It's trying to get cream for the coffee. Mm hmm. Literally every question she asks Hazel, Hazel is compelled to ask back to Foxglove, no matter how mundane it might be. She can't even bring herself to check to see if they have any cream. She has to ask Foxglove about it.
1: Yeah, and I think that's sort of her insecurity and her.
0: Yeah, she's clearly less, less independent and less self assured than her partner and has grown somewhat dependent on her partner for to prop up her you know self-confidence
1: and then there's george the male weirdo who lives in the attic
0: he gets the least characterization he's just kind of a weird guy with glasses at this point who likes to look at barbie
1: and then i think barbie also now she has changed a little bit from the doll's house she's much more
0: suffering from depression
1: yeah and i think she's she has this weird fixation with painting her face and instead of painting her face in the terms that she's making herself more beautiful, she's painting herself to almost create a mask on her face to sort of hide what's going on with her.
0: Yeah, she paints a checkerboard on her face in the beginning. The, a lot of this story is about identity and expression and the, your appearance. And, you know, characters are not what they appear to be initially. And stuff like that, and so, like I Barbie, I think her face painting kind of reflects that theme
1: that's true, so after the introduction, it cuts to this sort of interlude where Morpheus is talking to Matthew, and he's starting to sense the sort of disturbance and this thing that he calls the scary, which is one of the little small islands or small pieces of land that are on the peripheral of the dreaming. Which are fully constructed worlds that he has gifted. It seems like he gives them to people he takes a fondness for. So there's this one little world that he's sensing there's some kind of change or disruption in that world. And that happens to be the dream world where Martin Tenbones comes from.
0: The land is what it's, it's... It's called the land. I got a question. Is Fiddler's Green a scary...
1: That's what I was thinking, but you know what? I, I thought that maybe that was Fiddler Green, but then I thought, do I think that every land that's not an actual place is Fiddler's Green? Because I said that last time, and when we talked about the Midsummer Nights episode
0: issue. Wait, when when you said you wondered if that was Fiddler's Green, you mean the place where Matthew and Morpheus yes. are talking? Yes. Maybe. Um,
1: or, or even the... I think it might be the land, because that's what it turns out. It turns like there's these... Endless little arpeggios that are made of little independent dream worlds, which might be versions of Fiddler's Green that people are creating.
0: Maybe. I. So I think the idea that is like dream, the dream, the dreaming, the, the place, the dreaming is like constantly changing because it's constantly being shaped and reshaped by like the collective unconscious and people's individual dreams. And so the scaries are these little pockets of like permanence. Right. That are immutable. Like somebody... I imagine the way it works is somebody dreams up this place and then dream makes it permanent for them. And then we see that later on in the story. So he's concerned about something happening in the scary.
1: Yeah. So then they said, okay, let's look into that. And then it cuts away and it goes back to New York City. And Wanda and Barbie are on the train and they're going to go to... Tiffany's. Tiffany's, and they run into a homeless woman who is ranting about how she doesn't like dogs.
0: Yeah, she sees a dog on the train, and then she runs off the train, yelling about dogs, and she runs into Martin Tenbones, who appears to be an impossibly large dog with an impossibly large mustache. And she is thoroughly freaked out by this.
1: So, then Martin, who is sort of out of place in New York City, and is kind of... Frightened, he ends up running fail of the police, and he ends up being killed, which is very sad.
0: It is very sad. They, they shoot him down, but Barbie is there to witness it and to hear his last words and to take the porpentine from around his neck.
1: Right, and I think this is also interesting at this point because this is the point where Barbie's face, mate, her painting, her checkerboard starts to disintegrate. Mm-hmm. It also starts to in my mind, set up this sort of, there's many references to, like, Alice in Wonderland and Lewis Carroll's world that he created. And I think this checkerboard starts to remind me of that, those sort of, you know, allusions that he's making to this Lewis Carroll and Alice's stories.
0: Yeah. And then, um, I think this issue just ends with a sort of ominous reveal of uh, George catching and eating a crow.
1: Yeah, I think they they cut back to the to the land and then you see Luz who is a dodo. Yeah. And Pernado.
0: Luz is the dodo who is wearing like what do you call it? A dickey? It's like that garment where it's the collar and top part of a dress shirt with a bow tie attached.
1: Sort of like the old-timey tuxedo suits they used to have. Yeah,
0: and she's like a green dodo. There's Prenado, who is a monkey in like a bellhop's outfit. Right. Right. There's Wilkinson, who is a rat. He's dressed like a detective. He's wearing like a fedora and a trench coat.
1: He, He definitely gives me a Constantine vibe.
0: Yeah. He also like... I think there's a weird... I don't... There's a point in the book where it feels like they draw a very clear thematic connection between him and Wanda. And I don't understand what that means. But like their their so, ultimate fates clearly reflect each other. And I don't...
1: Yeah. I didn't get that. But that those characters are also sort of what gave me the idea of like the Alice in Wonderland theme. Because it kind of waffles between Alice in Wonderland and maybe like Wizard of Oz. But like these weird animal creatures are now going to go on a quest with Barbie to find
0: the cuckoo, which is...
1: Is the cuckoo mentioned at this point?
0: Cuckoo is mentioned... They mention the cuckoo in the beginning of the issue, and then at the end of the issue, when George eats the raven, he talks about uh, how the children of the cuckoo know all about Barbie.
1: Yeah, and I think it's... I guess we didn't really... Because we got on this tangent pretty quickly in there. In the opening sequence of the issue you see that someone the three characters are walking on this sort of frozen tundra, and they come across a bunch of bones, and they realize that that's a fourth character that has been missing, the Tantobin.
0: The, ten, the Tantobin or the Tantoblin? And I think they find him later when Barbie's there.
1: Well, you see his bones, and you see that he has a scroll, and then they realize that he was trying to bring them a message. So he's it's sort of pre- Prefaced in the beginning of the story that something happened and they never got the message that they were waiting for.
0: Yeah. So then when the next issue is called Lullabies for Broadway. What, do you have anything else to say about the first issue?
1: That was a pretty intense issue. I mean, it, it kind of cut a lot of things right to the bone. I mean, you got to see really what the the sort of the problems that Barbie has been dealing with both like emotionally and physically and sort of what's going on in the dream world and what's going on in her real world and how she's having a problem reconciling her inner life with her outer life. So she's kind of like just sort of adrift in New York City and kind of, like, put in this situation with a bunch of people who are also experiencing some variations of the same thing. So she really—like, her support system is just as disturbed and, you know, unresolved as she is.
0: Well, I mean, if you think back to the way we saw her in the doll's house, it makes sense. In the doll's house, her and Ken were a unit. They were Barbie and Ken. And her identity was completely assumed by her place in this relationship. But now that the relationship is over— She's like an adult who's never had to be her own person yet. And she's got to figure out how to play the game of you.
1: And that's exactly the same thing what I was saying about Hazel. Mm -hmm. Hazel is sort of the same way.
0: Yeah, I mean, Hazel is almost a reflection of Barbie from the doll's house, but slightly more independent.
1: So the second chapter, chapter two, is called Lullabies of Broadway. All of the titles come from songs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I thought that was interesting. So you get to see more of what's going on with the people who live in the house. So this the issue starts with Hazel coming to Barbie to under the you know she's under this sort of fake. Tr- she wants to get the cup. Back. Yeah, she wants to get her cup back, but she really wants to talk to Barbie because she thinks that she's pregnant. Yeah. And then it turns out that there's a small and complicated story about how she got almost tricked by a male co-worker and she had sex with him and now she's pregnant and she's afraid to tell her lesbian life partner that she's pregnant.
0: Yeah, I guess it depends. On, I don't know. My reading of Hazel is not that charitable. Like, I, I, I don't know. I feel like it's this... Sequence is more bullshit than it's uh, appears to be. I think this be. is
1: kind of like the way you feel about how Neil Gaiman represented transgender people is how I feel about how Neil Gaiman represented a woman like Hazel. Mm-hmm. Because first of all, it implies that if you are a lesbian, you don't understand the mechanics of heterosexual sex, which I think is wrong. Because most people, even if they are not, if they're if they're gay. Or they're, um, I'm trying to think of the word.
0: I don't know what word you're looking for.
1: For people who purposely choose not to have sex.
0: Celibate?
1: If you're celibate. so if Or asexual.
0: A- I mean, asexual. that wouldn't be purposely choose. That would just be you're not into it. Okay.
1: So whatever, but even if you're not actively involved in heterosexual sex, you understand the mechanics of how it works. Yeah, but right? I mean... But see, I think there's so much more, I think Neil Gaiman is kind of naive in saying that like, she's a lesbian, she doesn't understand how heterosexual sex works. She doesn't understand how male predatory um, techniques to engage in sex would work. She didn't realize that this guy was hitting on her. But what I think it's saying to me about a person like Hazel is, Hazel is naive and is not aware of, as a woman, her reproductive health overall yeah because even if you're a lesbian you know how babies are made
0: right I guess, like the thing i think the way she acts throughout this led me less to read her less as someone who doesn't know about this because she's a lesbian and more as someone who is very dumb who just happens to be a lesbian cuz she also doesn't understand how pregnancy tests work and it's like you've never seen a commercial homie
1: it's almost in my mind hazel is almost
0: like homer simpson <laughs>
1: All right, I'm trying to I'm make... sorry. <laughs> okay, fine. She's She's naive and she's uneducated. And she's almost like a teenager engaging in risky behavior. And either has some type of magical thinking or is not aware of the ramifications. Because there's lots of people who know about sex and engage in sex who don't know about birth control. Believe it or not, there are people out there who do not know about birth control but are actively having sex we hear stories all the time about people saying i didn't know i could just get birth control pills i didn't know where to buy condoms there are people out there who don't know about their reproductive health a lot of them are women and i think that's why it ended up in this issue but i think it's a really like for women and women's health that's a huge issue so maybe Neil Gaiman is making a comment about those types of situations, or maybe he's just naively saying that she didn't know about male sex because, you know, she's a lesbian.
0: Yeah, but I have a hard time reading that because there are other lesbian characters in Sandman, even in this issue, like Fox Love, who are much more
1: that's why I reasonable
0: think- and self-assured. I, I, I read it just more as being like, this is Hazel's character. Sometimes dumb people are also gay, and but that's fine.
1: We don't know about Hazel's backstory because later on, when she's confronted about her pregnancy, she's really shocked by Foxglove's response. Yeah. It's almost like she is, herself has never been in a loving relationship or been in a relationship where someone actually supported her.
0: Oh, I think it's definitely at least implied that this is the first serious relationship she's ever been in.
1: Yeah, and I think that She the- acts
0: like a person who's never been in a serious relationship before.
1: But I think, like, for women, your health is much more than just, like, how you physically feel. True. Sure. And I think, like, societies, the way that society is supposed to support women, you see this a lot, like, in, like, third world countries. And there's a lot of talk, like, nowadays about, like, um, period care. It's, it's getting kind of creepy, like, conversation. Sure. But, you know, it's like, like, women in prison and how they're treated. And so I think there's, like, a lot of, like, problems in society where society doesn't realize that, like, women's health is much more than just, like, are you okay? Is your blood pressure high? Like And I think, not, like, Hazel is a reflection of that.
0: Okay. Can I tell you my real th- reason why I 100% think that Hazel is portrayed the way she is? And I don't think it has a lot to do with, Neil you know, making a specific comment about anything. I think a lot of this volume is him making up for stuff that he fucked up in previous volumes. I think Wanda is a way for him to make up for Hal, which was like, I think Hal was an attempt to play, uh, portray someone who was transgender, and not knowing what he was doing, he made him a cis drag queen, and then that whole dream he has is very confused. Like, I think Wanda is an attempt to be like, no, let me create an actual... Transgender character who's like going to be a really good character. I think he does make a misstep of with her final fate, but we'll talk about that later. And I think way back in twenty four, which we will talk like I'm going to skip ahead a little bit in this issue, because after the conversation between Barbie and Hazel, George is shown again. He opens up his chest to reveal an empty rib cage full of crows, who fly out of his body. And give bad dreams to the rest of the people in the house. And Foxglove's bad dream is she is visited by the reanimated corpse of her ex-lover, who turns out to be Judy from 24 Hours, who, if you remember in 24 Hours, was trying to call her girlfriend to apologize for hitting her. And I think the idea with Hazel and Foxglove is it's a way for him to make up for it. Taking this first lesbian relationship he had in his comics and making it abusive. And so the Hazel and Foxlove's relationship is a way to portray, is a, a, him attempting to create a better portrayal of a lesbian relationship that is still flawed, but viable. And so instead of one of them being abusive, one of them is just kind of dumb and naive.
1: That's a valid point. I think the complication for this volume is there are so many women, and there have to be so many types of women. Yeah. So there has to be a character like Hazel.
0: Sure. And so, yeah. So we got the dreams. Like I said, I already covered what happens with Fox Love's dream, which is that she's actually Donna.
1: Wait, there's another plot point that's kind of important, is that once Barbie gets the Corpetine, and she's getting ready for bed, and she starts to dream. Nuella, who is the oh, fairy yeah. from the dreaming, comes into her dream and tries to help her.
0: Yeah, this sets up another one of my problems with this story, which is that nothing anyone does matters. Right, nothing anyone does matters because Nuella comes and warns her, and it really doesn't amount to much.
1: But I think well, that's true. But that's also sort of. A reimagining of what happens in the dollhouse. Maybe a lot of what's happening here is a reimagining of what's happening in the dollhouse. Wanda is hail, that George and his birds and the birds affecting people's dreams. That's very similar to the doll's house. All of the housemates in the hat- rooming house and in the apartment building are all affected by events that are happening in the dreaming, which is the same as what's going on here. Because once George releases those dreams, those birds are meant to go and to interact with the people and to involve themselves in their dreams. Yeah, yeah. So Barbie starts the dream. And when she starts the dream, she enters the land. And then she is left. She is, her body is in a coma and she is walking in the land. And then the others start to have their own dreams.
0: Yeah. So, like I said, Fox dreams about Judy. Hazel has a very disturbing and horrific dream about the baby.
1: Well, first, Wanda starts to dream, and her dream, of course, is about her identity and how she perceives herself. But then she has these characters that are in the dreams, the weirdos.
0: The weirdos, they're clearly supposed to be bizarro. She talks earlier, in the first issue, she talks about having a dream that involves these characters. Characters from an obvious Superman stand-in comic called Hyperman, which I think plays again into these themes of like identity and expression. The Weirdos are these imperfect clones of you know Hyperman and his girlfriend, but they all have their own—they all have their own individual identities projected on top of that. Like if you go back and you read these early bizarro comic like these early Superman comics that have the bizarro characters in them with like Bizarro World. Everyone on Bizarro World is Superman, but there's also like, I'm Bizarro hipster number one, and I'm Superman, but I'm expressing myself as this like beatnik with a guitar and I'm gonna sing a song. And I could see how somebody, you know, who is struggling with their identity and what like Society expects them to be, would connect with these really weird characters.
1: So they're not pre existing characters or characters? I don't
0: think so. I think at some point, eventually, Hyperman does become the established, like, if you're going to reference a fake Superman comic in a DC comic, it's Hyperman. But these aren't existing characters. I think the idea is he wanted somebody to be, he wanted it to be Bizarro, but his comic takes place in the DC universe where Bizarro is a real person. So we had to make up a fake comic book character.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, to sum it up quickly, we're not going to talk about it anymore. Wanda's dream is about her own sexual and gender identity.
0: Yeah. And her anxiety about the potential right. of uh, surgery.
1: And then Hazel's dream, which is kind of, is equally, dis- all the dreams are equally disturbing. And I think that's the point of what yeah. George's dream Interrupter birds are supposed to be. So, what we find out later
0: is what they're basically doing is trying to prevent anyone. He's trying to distract and distress everyone in the house so they don't go and help Barbie.
1: Right. And he pretty much preys on their exact anxieties. Yeah. So, Hazel has a dream that her baby is a dead baby, which is kind of disturbing. And she decides that she loves it anyway and takes it home and puts it with her real human baby.
0: Or she puts it with Foxglove's baby that baby. has appeared out of nowhere. That's a human right. living uh, baby.
1: And I think that's kind of her reflection about maybe the anxiety of being pregnant and how Foxglove is going to react to it. But it really, I mean, it's just kind of like...
0: Yeah, and then her it, baby grows a giant mouth and eats Foxglove's baby. Yeah, I think it's a very complicated dream because I think it's like... It's obviously her anxiety about having this secret from Foxglove. It's her anxiety about how having this baby is going to affect their relationship it's her anxiety about getting an abortion and i also think in the way the baby represents her like i think there's an element of like her feeling like a drag on Foxglove.
1: yeah and then foxglove's dream is when she reveals that she had a prior relationship with judy who died in the diner scene with dr d dr d Yeah, it's interesting because her the way she's depicted in Foxglove's dream is she almost looks like Morpheus.
0: Yeah, she's got the shadows on her face and the jet black hair. Yeah, she does. And she's like chalk white. And she's wearing like just her leather jacket. Yes, it's it's very creepy.
1: Yeah. And also, I mean, this is the part where I think the the visual component of this volume really kicks it up a notch and really enhances the story because you start to see these sort of circular, repeating circular motifs. And I think that's sort of a very feminine symbol. And then it's also foreshadowing the importance of what's going to happen next. And you see that with, like, Judy's jacket has these giant buttons on it. And that Foxglove, she's naked through the scene and she's very womanly. And I think they have this sort of conversation about what happened. And I guess that's when Foxglove has to come to grips with the guilt that she feels about how she treated Judy and drove her away. Yeah. Now, I can't remember. Was it Foxglove who... Hit Judy. No, Judy Judy hit
0: her, and Judy is trying to apologize to her on the phone when Dr. D walks into the diner in 24 hours. Yeah. Or I think at the end of the issue, right before 24 hours.
1: Yeah, and I think that sort of unresolved relationship, like you said, it, it also, the her picking Hazel as her partner is reflected in the previous relationship that she had with Judy. Yeah. So... And then Thessaly, who's one of my favorite characters. Yeah,
0: I really like her. I mean, except for how she treats Wanda. she She's one of the best characters in Sandman. Yeah, so she we don't get to see her dream because the second that the bird shows up, she snaps its neck. Yeah. And reveals herself to be a very powerful and ancient Greek witch.
1: Yes, and I think she's almost... I think it's pretty clearly revealed that she's almost like an earth witch. So the powers that she have involve controlling elements of the earth.
0: Yeah, clearly like from the very beginning there's been a big influence on this book from like Wicca. And Thessaly I think is one of the most obvious examples of that. She's very much fits the sort of modern new age Wicca definition of a witch but with like a harder edge.
1: Yeah, and I think she's more she's also the representative of the natural power of women and sort of this whole concept of the women collective where women when they're together act different with each other than they do when they're with men or with their children
0: yeah Yeah. but it's not an entirely positive portrayal of that no Thessaly is an asshole and her definition of like a woman's space and a woman's community is incredibly restrictive and hurts people like Wanda as we'll see so I think
1: though part of the thing is she comes from, she is so old and comes from a culture where there are only two genders.
0: She's a first wave feminist. Is, is that but what But like is? the firstest wave possible.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, I guess she doesn't, when you get to the third wave feminist, that's when they become more inclusive. So that's
0: true. I mean, that's kind of how I read a lot of this. Like you said, like this is a, a lot of this is about feminism. And I sort of read, like Thessaly represents like a older form of feminism that is very much about like, the feminine and womankind and she's at odds with someone like barbie whose ideal of feminism is broader and includes people like wanda who are just as valid as women as people like thessaly but thessaly just can't see it because she's so fucking old
1: yeah yeah well i think that's true and she also represents sort of this primordial women kind of culture where you know you know her whole thing is the moon and
0: yeah. yeah but that's like a thing that's a real conflict that is still happening now that i see playing out over and over again with people that i know come into conflict with these older feminists who have a much more restrictive and honestly reactionary conception of womanhood.
1: i could talk to you about the different types of feminism and it, we, this podcast would be seven hours long.
0: Yeah. So. But it just like reminded me of like when you see like some respected older feminist put, write some article where they say some totally whack shit about trans people and you're yeah. like oh, I thought you women, would be cooler.
1: Women are the worst to each other. And that's that's not my observation It's and it happens all the time. Women are so critical and judgmental of each other and so unforgiving of the choices that different women make that it would make sense that you would treat a woman a transgender woman the same way you would treat any other woman i think that thessaly is just
0: as but she doesn't she's it's just, not that she very specifically treats wanda like she's not her her is very firmly of the stance that wanda is not a woman and luckily the book stance is thessaly's wrong
1: right right but but I, but I can she treats the other women just as awfully
0: oh yeah but she's she treats everyone awfully but she still treats them like women and she does not treat wanda like a woman right.
1: so this this issue ends with thessaly who figures out what's going on and where the birds came from going up to the attic to confront george and they the <laughs> last panel fucking
0: murder him. yeah the
1: last panel for her story arc for this issue is her standing there with a knife behind her back. Yeah. So you know.
0: Do you think... Is this an attempt to make another Constantine? I don't know. Do you think a Neil is mine when he created Thessaly you know, with, I think, Colleen Duran is the first person that draws her? I don't remember. Um,
1: Does she come back later on? She
0: comes back in The Wake, in later on in Sandman. She shows up in The Dreaming, the spin-off series, and there's a four-issue miniseries about her that I've never read called Thessaly, Witch for Hire.
1: See, in my mind, I see Thessaly as the replacement or the symbolic stand-in of the knight in shining armor.
0: Yeah, it's no, no. But I mean, like...
1: With Barbie being the damsel.
0: Yeah, but I'm saying, do you think when Neil Gaiman was writing Thessaly, do you think he imagined that they're, like there's he, Going to be a spin off about her, and it's going to run for 300 issues the way that Hellblazer did.
1: I, I in my mind, if he wanted to do a spin off, why didn't he just do a spin off of Lady Constantine?
0: Yeah, she seems
1: more kick ass than Thessaly, but she's unless they were going for like a witchy kind of theme, you know.
0: But I think she's also kind of is, I feel like to me, she kind of is like a counterpoint to Constantine, who's like a very masculine male character and he his you know he he's this very like non-traditional magic user to like bullies and tricks and smokes and curses at all the demons and Thessaly is operating in this much more traditional milieu but she's also like just as like prickly and flawed as Constantine is I
1: saw Thessaly the way that you saw Wanda and Hale. I saw Thessaly as a reaction to Calliope, who was so victimized. Okay. Because Thessaly has, like, Greek origins. Yeah. So it sort of implied that maybe she's from the same place or as Calliope. I don't know if I would want a female-empowered Constantine.
0: I mean, I think it's like... I mean, uh, I don't mean it like... Oh, what would, a, like, a lady constantly like, a woman in a trench coat smoking a cigarette. But in the same idea that it's, like, here's a person who knows about magic who's a dick.
1: Well, he, like, then yes. <laughs>
0: she's a lady. And, like, you could write, like, there could be a ton of stories about Thessaly because she's been around forever. And she goes around solving magic problems and killing people that cross her.
1: I mean, did he intend to make a spinoff? No. But could he have made a spinoff? 100%. I don't
0: know. I can't help but think, like, if I was writing this character, I would be, like, hell yeah, people are going to love this. And I'd be kind of disappointed by the lack of stuff about her afterwards.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So, this at the, end, the very end of this issue is when Barbie and Pernado and Luz and Wilkerson, that's the name of the...
0: Yeah, the Wilkerson. Rat,
1: they decide they're going to go on a quest and they're going to go across the land to find the Cuckoo. And then that's how that issue ends. And then chapter three starts, and that one's called Bad Moon Rising, which I kind of think is he- kind of heavy-handed title.
0: Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, the moon is very important in this issue. Right.
1: So it starts with uh, Hazel and Foxglove get up, and then Thessaly decides she's going to wake everyone in the house. Yeah. Because she has a problem and she needs everybody to get up, so...
0: They go to check on Wanda first, I believe.
1: Right, and then she's in her underwear. Mm -hmm. Because they're all sleeping, that's the whole premise of the thing. She wakes wakes them all from... Either they wake up because George is dead and his dream birds are no longer affecting them. Or she breaks the spell of the dream birds herself.
0: Yeah, this all takes place immediately after... Thessaly breaks the bird's neck and then walks out of her apartment and this stuff happens immediately.
1: Yeah. So then they all go to see if they can wake up Barbie and they find Barbie. And I think this is when Thessaly starts to put it together about what's going on with Barbie. She sees the Porpetine and she sees the Barbies in this dream state. And then she realizes that she prematurely killed George Mm -hmm. before getting the answers that she needs that part definitely reminds me of Constantine. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's is... just a totally, like, stupid P- Constantine move that he would
0: do. I mean, her whole thing is very Constantine, because in the end, it turns out she didn't need to do any of this. No. <laughs> like She just kind of, like, decided she was important and fucked everything up, which is exactly think, a Constantine I thing I think to she do.
1: also likes the witchy part of her work, because as soon as she's like, oh, no, I gotta go uh, deal with George, she knows immediately what to do, and she's very excited about having to in essence, rip off his face and tack it to the wall.
0: Yeah, so they can talk to him.
1: So Hazel freaks out because she sees George is dead and Foxgup sort of takes it in stride.
0: Wanda pukes, right?
1: Yes, and Wanda's very upset.
0: I would puke too if I saw a faceless dude in a bathtub.
1: Well, he's not faceless yet. She, I think oh, she, she hasn't cut off his face. I think yet. Wanda the pukes when he starts cut, where she starts cutting off his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she cuts off his face because she's she's doing this spell where she's going to reanimate him so she can interrogate him. Because you know that's like you said, a very constant thing to kill someone and be like, "Oops, I need to talk to you." I
0: can't, I can't speak to dead. <laughs>
1: yeah so then you have an elaborate spell that you have to do to reconstitute his face so you can talk to him when you could have just not killed him
0: she cuts off his face cuts out his eyes puts them back in his face bites out his tongue puts it back in his mouth and then nails this awful monstrosity to the wall of his apartment right
1: next to this giant portrait of barbie yeah (laughs) which is also very creepy so then she starts to talk to him and she starts to figure out what's going on and then they decide that they have to go into the dreaming, into the land to rescue Barbie, to help her finish her quest.
0: Well, Fox Love, Hazel, and Wanda want to help Barbie. Thessaly is very particular about being only interested in getting revenge on the cuckoo for trying to hurt her, which we then later learn means just murdering it.
1: Yes. And then, so she wants to take, the the only way that she can get into the dream world, because obviously she has some kind of, now it's kind of hinted that she had a pre-existing relationship with Morpheus that went south. The only way she can get into the dream world is to walk on the moon road. Nate's making us more chai tea. And then, because we need to have chai tea while we're talking about the moon road. It's 100% important. And the only way to get to the Moon Road is to be is to have the chromosomes of a woman, and one of them has to be menstruating, and they all have to band together as women, and that's why Wanda can't go. And
0: yeah, especially very uh, bluntly reveals to Foxglove that Hazel is pregnant, right? And then, yeah, she summons the Moon, and then also the Kindly Ones, right. And she ends up free, essentially freezing the moon in place over New York City, which, unsurprisingly, is a very bad idea.
1: Well, and then cue the circular motifs because this is when they this is when they start to visually hit it pretty hard that women and the moon have a connection.
0: And then this is also the part where Thessaly takes her hard stance against Wanda's, her hard and incorrect stance against Wanda's. Uh, Womanhood repeatedly calls her a man and bars her from passage into the moon road and leaves her to guard Barbie's sleeping body. And then I think right after they leave, George's severed face starts talking to Wanda. Yes, but
1: I think it's also important that when the kindly ones show up and when the moon goddess shows up, they try to tell her, like, Thessaly, this is not a good idea. And she's just like, I don't care. And then... Cecily does not
0: give a shit what anyone has to say. And that is all, probably her biggest flaw. Right. Because she's a know-it-all.
1: But I guess we should have mentioned this earlier. She stops the moon from whatever it's doing. And then also at the same time, there's this giant hurricane moving up the coast. Which, like at one point, there's like a news announcement. And you just yeah. sort of hear the part where it says, you know, that it's not expected to hit New York City. Thessaly fucks with the moon and now the storm is coming right towards the city. So they leave to walk on the moon road and the homeless woman who did, who did not like the dog is the only one who notices that there's something weird going on with the moon. Yeah. And then Wanda is left alone to talk, to protect. So then Wanda, even though she identifies as a woman, Thessaly identifies her as a man And puts her in the role of protector. Yeah. And then, of course, like you said, George's disembodied face for some reason. Before he could only talk to Thessaly, can now talk to... Wanda. Wanda. Which makes... It's kind of a weird thing where Thessaly was a a witch and a woman and George could talk to her when he was reanimated. And then Thessaly says that Wanda is a man But then George, who only talks to women witches, now talks to Wanda.
0: Yeah, but then he also repeatedly calls Wanda a guy. But then he also repeatedly refers to her as Miss Wanda. I think
1: think he is preying on her anxiety. He also knows that she's uncomfortable with his death and his corpse. So I think he's trying to provoke some kind of reaction from her by using triggers because you know neil guy he loves triggers so he's using this trigger of like her anxiety about her identity her uncomfortableness with like these sort of female only exclusionary roles her concern about this corpse and her worry about barbie and he starts to sort of mix up this toxic stew where he's trying to get a reaction Tell me, does Wanda not look like Mark Boland? Does Wanda look like
0: Mark... Uh, kinda. I mean, there's, she's clearly, like, immersed in this, like, New York glam punk scene. She wears a lot of, like, black leather, and she has bright red hair with the, like, very extreme bangs.
1: Yeah, I think so. I like her, like, fierce red hair and her yeah. sort of comfortableness of being in her panties. And, I mean, she's pretty much a knight in shining armor and she's in her pink panties while she's protecting Barbie.
0: Yeah, but it's also like she's she's like, <laughs> Thessaly's like, oh, your job is very important. Guard her. And then it's like, that amounts to stand around in a room full of dude blood and like severed face. Yeah. I feel so bad for Wanda throughout this whole thing. Like,
1: but the whole what a the- whole
0: shitty day.
1: Yeah. I-, I-, I do feel bad for her. But the whole thing is like, now it's like, these women are on the moon road. So it's lady adventure time. So they're going on there. And then Wanda is stuck at, in New York City with this storm that's threatening them. And she's with Barbie. And Barbie is in a coma. And, you know, it's...
0: Oh, we also we should have sounded the alarm. Ding, ding, ding. Kindly ones watch. Because we get another recursion of the triple goddess when the three characters go on the moon road. Because Thessaly is the crone. Hazel is the mother, and then Fogg's love is the maiden.
1: Right. Exactly. So so then, well, I guess what's happening is the moon road, walking on the moon road is causing this storm to come.
0: Well, I think just the moon being stuck yeah. is what's causing the, the, the storm. It's fucking with the weather patterns. George brings that up as like a concern. Like, hey, uh, shouldn't we be worried about the meteorological ramifications of freezing the moon in place? And it turns out he is right. Uh, And that becomes very important later. Do you want to move on to the next issue?
1: Yeah. So chapter four, it's called Beginning to See the Light. And I guess this part, this is when most of the action switches to happening in the land. Yeah. So you see Barbie and her friend trying to find the tantalbin to get the message that, they ha- that he had for them. And trying to get to find the cuckoo.
0: Yeah, they travel through the tundra. They have to hide from the Black Guard who serve the Cuckoo.
1: I like this. I wanted to ask you this because it seems like this is maybe some kind of inside comic book joke that I didn't get. But the they have this thing where the Tantobin, in his previous life was in a in a military group called the Room Patrol, which was like a ha- like a room that they would carry around to like save people.
0: Yeah, that's reference <laughs> to the Doom Patrol, which. Uh, It was another one of the books like Sandman that is like a foundational Vertigo book. It was another early book uh, edited by Karen Berger, who edits all of Sandman. Uh, Yeah, that was a reference to the Doom Patrol.
1: Yeah, and I thought that I liked that imagery of like all these little dinosaur guys holding a room. And as you're walking through the tundra, you might come across them and you would be saved. I thought that was pretty interesting.
0: Yeah. And then the room, when you stay in the room, it opens up to a different area. But the Tantalin is dead has been de-skinned and reduced to a pile of bones with a note.
1: And then the note is is a scroll and it has information about the, it has natural history information about the actual bird, the cuckoo. Yes. And it also has some pictures of some Polaroids of Barbie. Yeah. And it's sort of, it's the first part where you get a hint that Barbie and the cuckoo have A pre-existing relationship that Barbie either is not aware of or has manifested without her any kind of knowledge from her.
0: I find cuckoos to be strangely creepy.
1: I think, yeah.
0: Like, the idea of them is genuinely unsettling to me. And I'm not entirely sure why.
1: I want to talk more about that when we get to the actual part where we meet the cuckoo. Because I have some severe... I have a verisimilitude problem dealing with the cuckoo,
0: Hmm.
1: which I kind of, I don't know if it's because, I don't don't know. We'll talk about it when we get to it. And then, so then they're hiding in a cave and all of these soldiers come marching by and it's kind of like a Lord of the Rings thing where they have these giant blue soldiers with swords and things like that. And then you realize that the cuckoo actually has an army that the cuckoo is commanding. And they're looking for Barbie and her friends.
0: Yeah. And then they get to a forest.
1: Before we get to the forest, there's an interlude. And you go back to the dreaming and Nuella, who's talking to Morpheus, tells her him that she tried to warn Barbie. And he says, that's good. That's yeah. fine. And that's pretty much the, just sort of sets it up when Morpheus shows back up. It actually makes more sense.
0: Yeah. Well, we find out that he ordered her to observe and not to interact, and then she did, and right. he's like, nah, it's cool. You, you did a good job.
1: So, they get to the forest, and they're kind of happy because there's food, and it's warm, and, and they're on the right way, so it's kind of almost like a happy time for them, and Barbie is... um, she's less depressed. She's, like, energized a little because she knows they're on the way, and they're having... they're picking apples, and then... Is it, it's Lutz and Pernato are looking for...
0: Yeah. Uh, Wilkinson's hanging out with Barbie, and then Les and Pernado go off to look for food or something. Right. And there's some sort of creatures in the forest that you don't want to encounter called tweeners. And for a while, they're traveling through the forest, and Pernato is scouting ahead in the trees, and eventually he doesn't come back.
1: Right, and that's when the forest changed from being this sort of idyllic sunshiny green forest to being a dark and gloomy forest almost like you know a fairy tale forest an evil forest
0: yeah there's a part where barbie is thinking about the spiders from lord of the rings and she asks wilkinson if there are giant spiders in the forest and he's like no the giant spiders live in another forest they're they're very nice people but a little timid
1: so then when they realize that the tweeners have captured Pernato and have hung him from one of the trees. They run and run as fast as they can. Well, they
0: puppet his corpse and tell her to leave the forest and imply that they are older than the other things in this world.
1: I think, too, this is the first part where you become aware that this may not just be Barbie's world. Yeah, yeah. So you get this impression from... The doll's house, and from her manifestation of this world now, that maybe this is a world that she created. And then when you meet the tweeners, or you hear from the tweeners, you realize that Barbie is just in that world with her fantasy component. So that there might be a larger world that exists that Barbie has no control over.
0: Yeah. Also, at this point, when they're running from the tweeners, the Porpentine creates like an illuminated path for them that the tweeners won't follow them on. Right. So it's clear that this thing, while the tweeners are, are older and more powerful than Barbie, the Porpentine has some kind of power or authority over them.
1: And I think it's sort of, it's kind of creating this sort of overlapping spiral of circles of this old and ancient magic or mythology that's occurring. So Thessaly is like, she's older than the housemates and she has a history where she has her own magic and then the porpentine has its own magic and then the moon road and the kindly one so there's all these sort of like ripples of different kinds of magic coming out and then you get this nod to the dreaming and that this land is ultimately controlled by morpheus and that the tweeners might be loyal to an even older type of magic that is different from the magic that Barbie has. Yeah, yeah. So they get to the... They get to a cliff.
0: Overlooking the Shining Sea. Right. And which then, is where they were trying to get to.
1: And then Luz says, let me go. First of all, I never really thought that Luz was a female. I thought for some reason they were all male.
0: They call her... She's identified with feminine pronouns... In the very beginning. Oh, okay. And that's I, pretty I, much it.
1: I just didn't pick up on that. So she says, I'm going to go and scout ahead and get some help and I'll be back. And then it cuts back to Wanda and that really uncomfortable conversation of George just being an asshole. And yeah. just talking to her and trying to bait her into some kind of argument.
0: Is this... No, this isn't when... Yeah,
1: no. Yeah, and then it cuts... That's only for like only a couple of pages is it George and Wanda and then immediately goes back to um, Barbie and you see Lutz returning and you, she's kind of happy to see him. And then you realize that there's all these soldiers and Lutz has sold her out
0: to the Blackguard,
1: to the Blackguard. And then they kill Wilkerson.
0: Wilkinson. It's very sad. Uh, the little, little dude is torn to shreds. <laughs>
1: Yeah, they just eviscerate that poor...
0: Poor little rat detective. <laughs> rat. We also find out in the forest that he has a bunch of brothers and sisters and they're all named Wilkinson. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like a sad component that you learn about. So then so then, Lus takes Barbie and the
0: Blackguard to the Cuckoo. Yes. And then- uh, do we see the Cuckoo Citadel at the end of this issue?
1: Yeah, and it's... Well it turns out it's the very last panel. That it turns out to be the front of the house turns out to be Barbie's um dream home. No. But
0: Bar- <laughs> it's her childhood home. <laughs> it's
1: childhood home. And then behind that is the boarding house from the doll's house. Which is actually the doll's house from the
0: episode. I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, the- so
1: you can see it right here. So So Barbie's family oh, yeah. home. I'm I'm illustrating it with my pen like a yeah, we're looking real estate right agent.
0: Now. Yeah, you're right. I didn't even it didn't even register to me that that was the house from the doll's house, but that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and that's how it ends. So then you realize once you see that that is Barbie's childhood home, you realize that Barbie and the cuckoo are not linked. Yeah. Do you have anything else to say about that? We'll get right into chapter four.
0: Um. Oh no, yeah. we did
1: chapter four, so we're right on the chapter five.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is the this is the big climactic the issue. pen ultimate. Yes, the penultimate issue. It was also, like I said, I think this is the climax of the story. Though, can I say after this volume, reading this volume, right after reading Season of Mists, I think the game has got a problem with anti-climax. Like, Season of Mists ends with, like, the whole story is about how do we decide who gets how, and it ends with a literally God making the decision for Morpheus. And then this, this whole thing is leading up to this conflict between the cuckoo and Barbie, and Morpheus just kind of shows up and fixes everything. I don't think it's bad; these are bad, but they're both both of these two longer stories, right in a row, end with a kind of an anticlimax.
1: This one, chapter five, is called "Over to Over to Sea to Sky."
0: Over the sea to the over the sea to sky.
1: Right, and I think this is this song, which is like it's like an irish folk song i think
0: mm-hmm.
1: it ends up later on being the theme song to outlander so i think a lot of people might know that song
0: i did not know that
1: this is like the song that's most obviously a female oriented song and mm-hmm. i think this is sort of the 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 issue where all of these like female roles and and comments about female culture come to it to you know the center and You start to see, even though it's a very mild resolution, you start to see the resolution. So Barbie gets to the house. She goes inside and she meets the cuckoo. Who looks like her as a kid. Yes. And that's when she realizes that she's the cuckoo. Sort of. Sort of.
0: So what it turns out the cuckoo is, is some kind of psychic entity that basically took advantage of Barbie's childhood wistfulness and feelings of not belonging in her home to take root in her psyche and specifically in the land. It's implied that cuckoos are a thing that just happens normally. And in a normal situation, the cuckoo would have just gestated inside Barbie's personal dream world and then burst out into like the, astral plane or whatever and it would have been fine but because barbie had wound up because that same wistfulness had drawn barbie to this scary the cuckoo had gotten trapped inside the land when barbie stopped dreaming
1: right and i think what the cuckoo preys on or preyed on is barbie's extremely exaggerated case of imposter syndrome yeah and i think that was it because once you start to see the cuckoo and she starts talking to you, she show, like she shows Barbie a tour of their house and she goes into her bedroom and you see all the stuffed animals that are actually Martin Tenbones and all of the characters that she interacts with in the story were all stuffed animals or characters from her childhood, her toys that she had. And then you see like she has a Princess Barbie doll. And she has, like, a little tiny mouse and a little Lutz stuffed animal.
0: Yeah, they're all all her homies. Turns out they were her stuffed animals. Excuse me. Her stuffed animals that she had as a kid. Which is weird. Do you think she would have noticed that?
1: Yeah, well, I think that's why she's not quite aware of what she had manifested. I think in the beginning the cuckoo was just a dream that she had and like you said while she when she got disrupted and disconnected so like violently when she broke off with ken and what happened in the dollhouse and the dreams that she was having she sort of severed her awareness of this world because it's sort of nodded to that she's got this kind of like she's in this almost like constant fugue state where she can't remember the dreams so that she can resolve them and she's constantly feeling like there's something missing or unattached to her or something unresolved that she never finished
0: well yeah it's like i think it becomes pretty clearly about like growing up you know barbie was clinging on to these childish dreams for a very long time which kept the cuckoo in a state of eternal childhood and then when she has the opportunity to sort of confront her inner child and resolve these feelings, she shuts herself off from them, and that leaves the cuckoo to be trapped and to fester inside of the land without Barbie there. And once she acknowledges that part of herself and this, you know, comes to terms, like, starts to learn who she is as a grown-up, she's able to release the cuckoo and to, like set aside this childish dream world.
1: I have two problems with the Barbie meets the cuckoo and the problem with the cuckoo. Yeah, you
0: said that earlier.
1: The first one is, 99% of the problems that Barbie is having in the dream world is because she's not self-aware. Yeah. And I feel like if she examined her life, she would be... But She's naive in a way. She's purposefully naive. And as a modern, independent woman... She should be more self-aware.
0: I don't think it's necessarily that she's naive. It's not like Barbie's not like Hazel. It's not like she doesn't understand how the world works. What Barbie doesn't understand is who is Barbie.
1: Barbie runs around almost like a damsel in distress, but she's a self-created damsel in distress. She runs around like, I don't understand what's going on with me. I don't know why I can't dream, why I can't process things in the real world. And it's kind of like, because you're not even trying Barbie, and then being upset that Barbie is objectified, because she keeps making comments about how people talk about her physical appearance, it's like, what are you, what are you doing, Barbie, to like, one, resolve this problem? At least Thessaly's like, I'm going to go, and I'm going to kill this cuckoo. Barbie's like, what am I going to do? Like, she's just kind of bubble-headed, like, bobbing around.
0: and Well, that's what I was talking about. She... She's never had a chance to develop her own identity as an adult. I, it seems like she probably got hooked up with Ken right out of high school or something. Yeah. And so she's been, She like I said, she doesn't know who Barbie is. And that's what, what this story is about. It's about her realizing that you go, she has to do the hard work of examining herself and figuring out what her identity is and what face she wants to paint on her face.
1: Yeah. Well, that's just the, that's almost like facade. That's like a metaphor that's just so hyper aware.
0: But I think it also ties back into a lot of the themes from Season of Mists. Like, essentially what this whole story and what this dream world is, is like Barbie's hell. Yes. She's punishing herself for not being her own person and now she needs to, you know, knuckle down and learn how to be your own person and that result will resolve all of these problems
1: I also have a problem with this whole metaphor of the cuckoo like I understand they're saying okay the cuckoo is a bird that plants its egg in a nest of another bird Mm -hmm. and tricks that bird into raising that bird as its own that's what the whole premise of the cuckoo is so but the thing is it's like the cuckoo does this but the birds are not unaware that that is not their child. That is not their egg. Once they've realized that the cuckoo is not their egg, they're committed to raising that because their role is to create offspring. So the cuckoo becomes a substitute for their offspring. This cuckoo that comes into Barbie's mind, she's not aware. It's just, it's not like a real cuckoo. Like, I don't know why they're calling it the cuckoo. That cuckoo persona goes in her brain it doesn't make any sense to me
0: the cuckoo is the princess the way that i see it is the cuckoo is a story the the idea that they're getting at in this is that like these escapist stories that we tell ourselves about like actually i'm secretly a princess or actually i'm secretly a wizard harry are potentially like they can become so powerful that they subsume your sense of self and you spend all of your energy feeding that story rather than developing who you are barbie's sense of self withers away as this princess narrative that she's been living with her entire life takes over for it like that's why when she's with ken she doesn't outwardly have any personal identity and then she dreams she's a princess
1: that makes sense but the fact is barbie's not aware of her princess persona
0: no, and I think that's the problem. I mean that's part of Barbie's problem is that she's not I guess, yeah, I guess. It's not perfect. I, I agree that it's it is a it's flawed also, metaphor.
1: It's also for five issues. The setup is is that the cuckoo is the bad guy. Yeah. And they're going to defeat them. So then you then it's kind of like you said it's kind of low-level action where it turns out the cuckoo's really not the bad guy and he's not The cuckoo's really not doing anything other than being a cuckoo. She wants to fly out of the dream world and live her life.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I think the way... The problem is none of them really understand what's happening. In the grand scheme of things, nothing is really at stake because Dream can just come along and fulfill the compact and release the cuckoo and end the land. But what they think is happening is that the cuckoo needs to destroy Barbie and the land in order to escape from both of them and fulfill its potential. Had Dream not intervened, the stakes would have been much higher.
1: But that's the thing. It's like, Thessaly and Hazel and Foxglove are coming to rescue Barbie. They show up too late. Barbie's already trapped, and then uh, the cuckoo takes her to the hierogram. Hierogram? Hierogram. Hierogram. To get it destroyed so that she can be free of the dream world and go on her way. And then Thessaly shows up and she sees Barbie and the cuckoo and Luz and then, of course, the cuckoo, who's a psychopath, says, oh no, she's trapped. She's captured me. And then tells Thessaly that the cuckoo is the dodo bird and she kills Luz. Yeah,
0: so the other thing we didn't touch on is the cuckoo has like a hypnotic suggestion thing. Les doesn't actually betray them. She gets hypnotized by the cuckoo. And then also it's revealed that the same thing had happened to George.
1: The cuckoo kind of reminds me of the little girl from the episode, from the issue where Morpheus is trying to decide who can be the boss of hell.
0: Shivering Jenny? Yeah. From the, the, um... She's one of serves the Lords of Chaos. Yes. Yeah, it's the same kind of, like, sweet... Innocent girl exterior masking a inhuman entity that does not have an especially high regard for sentient life.
1: So while they're in the dream world, the storm hits New York City and Wanda sees the homeless woman outside and rescues her and brings her in. Yeah. So then Wanda's continuing her story arc where she's with George and now she's with the homeless woman and the conversation the difficult conversation about gender issues continues.
0: Yeah, we find out that the homeless woman's nephew was also trans and ha- ended up being a victim of abuse and eventually murdered. It's a very sad story that is still a big issue trans women are murdered at a much higher rate than a lot of other segments of the population and it really sucks.
1: That's true. So they start having this thing where uh this Barbie destroys the monolith at that point. she destroys the monolith, and the cuckoo thinks that he's that she's free.
0: yeah, she takes the porpentine and strikes the hierogram, which is this big stone slab with something written on it in some characters that I don't know uh and she strikes it with the porpentine, which destroys it, and dream shows up,
1: and yeah, it'll kind of slightly sort of some. Asian?
0: Maybe? Yeah, I don't know what they are specifically, though.
1: I don't even know if they're meant to be words or they're just made up symbols or whatever. So then she's like, I'm free. And it turns out she's really not free because she doesn't know how to get out of the dream world. And then dun, 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 Morpheus shows up. Yeah. Because he's just like, I've had enough.
0: So what he reveals is that, what we were talking about, this was a pre-existing segment of the dream the dreaming that he had preserved at the behest of another person, and many people have dreamed there over the years. So the land existed beforehand, and most of the characters that we met were created by Barbie to populate this pre-existing land. But there are also other dreams that had been there before, like the Tweeners.
1: Right. I think it's interesting that Morpheus shows up and he's just like, "Ladies, what have you done?" And then he immediately blames it all on Thessaly.
0: He's very mad at Thessaly. <laughs> Because she trespassed in the dreaming by coming through the moon road. Right. Uh, Which is understandable. And he's
1: very, this Morpheus is a very sort of stern Morpheus. Did you
0: pick up that, the page before he is revealed, we get um, some narration from the radio and they mention a Lou Reed song?
1: Yes, yes, that's right. We didn't talk about that because this one is actually named, the next one I think is named after a Lou Reed song.
0: What is the, I don't this one is, this one's the Irish folk song, right? Right. Yeah, Over the sea to the sky. The next issue is called.
1: I think we. Missed, I woke
0: up and one of us was crying. Right,
1: and that's the Elvis Costello song. So I think we missed the one that was actually a Lou Reed song. Was it beginning to see the light?
0: Um, I don't know.
1: So then Morpheus says, "Look, this you can't you can't leave this. This is actually my land. I gave it as a as a gift to another person." And that princess, and if you think the land is tired and it should be dissolved, I'm going to do it. And he proceeds to start to do that.
0: Yeah. So we find out that the hierogram is this, like, talisman of the compact he made. And the porpentine is essentially another dreamstone like the one that he was, he, that Dr. D got a hold of. Right. Uh, but I guess less powerful. And more specific to this specific dream world. And so he starts shrinking the land and absorbing the various dreams into his body. He resurrects Luz, and then we also see that he resurrected Pernado and Wilkinson and Martin Tenbones.
1: Right, and then they start to sort of shrink into his coat, and he unwraps the end of the world. And you meet the princess who actually is the the person who was in charge of the land before Barbie took it over. And she's a different type of princess.
0: Alianora, I believe is yeah. her name. Yeah.
1: He pulls out the he pulls out all stops for when he unravels that world. And then he tells the three women that they're in trouble and they need to wait it out and then he'll come back and deal with them. So just give them time to talk about what they did.
0: Um yeah, and then so the-, the land the land shrinks until he can hold it in his hand and there's a very cool image of him holding the entire land in his hand and Barbie talks about how it's like smaller but you can still see every detail of it all at once. Right, And then it just kind of blows away in the wind.
1: And at the same time that it's blowing away in the wind that's when the storm hits New York City and the house is blown down.
0: Yeah and it falls down on top of Wanda and Maisie who's the homeless woman that she saved from the storm. Right. Which Who,
1: in my mind, I thought was going to... I mean, even though I had read it before I just completely... I thought maybe Maisie was going to be revealed to be one of the kindly ones and was observing what was going on, but it's sort of just... No, she's just
0: some lady. Yeah. And then... So they
1: kind of like... After five issues, more... It's the same thing. Like, there's all this stuff going on. There's lots of people and there's lots of action. And then Morpheus is just like, done. Wrap it up. Let's go. I'm tired.
0: Yeah. He also tells them that because of their actions, Thessaly and Foxlove and Hazel cannot leave the land the way they came because the moon has fallen into the sea.
1: Right. So that's when you realize the storm has hit. So he tells them to stay put, hold tight, he'll come back for them at some point. And then, so then it starts chapter six, which is called, I woke up and one of us was crying. And... I guess Morpheus gives a boon to Barbie.
0: That's part of the compact is he comes up and he destroys the land or or retires it or whatever. And then whoever initiated it, whoever you know struck the hierogram with the porpentine, gets a boon from him. Which uh, Barbie uses to... Uh,
1: send them all home.
0: Yeah, send them all home. Because Dream wants to leave them trapped there as punishment for trespassing.
1: Right. And I think... I, Barbie begrudgingly also includes the cuckoo in the boon. Yeah. So she has an opportunity to trap the, boon, trap the cuckoo in the land, the dreaming. She chooses to let her go, to let her fly, which is what she wants to do. So then she manifests herself actually into a bird with rainbow wings and then flies away. And yeah. So so even though she doesn't want to help the cuckoo, she ends up helping the cuckoo at the end.
0: Yeah. Gotta help the cuckoo.
1: And then Dad Morpheus gives the ladies a stern talking to.
0: And Thessie's like, fuck you, Dad. Yeah,
1: exactly. Who are you to
0: talk? She's so mad that Morpheus wouldn't say anything to her. She's so shitty. Yeah. Like, you fucked up. And she's just like, how dare he say that to me? (laughs) So what if I... It's like, And then you cut back to the real world where she's like... Decimated New York with a hurricane just because she was mad.
1: <laughs> but you know what? I think it's like almost like a stereotype of like this vengeful woman, and you know that. Kind of I like, guess.
0: I mean, she also like like. like let know. me
1: talk to your manager. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like she just she did not want to hear what Morpheus had to say, and Morpheus kind of like.
0: Oh, just. I also think there's something very professorial about Thessaly. Yes, like she's like I'm the smartest person. Shut up. I know what I'm doing. Yeah,
1: she's like, uh, yeah, she's like your sort of judgmental women's studies community college professor. She's, she's kind of, she's yeah, kind she's, of awful, and and she really leans hard into the stereotype of that kind of woman. Yeah,
0: she rules. She's great, so, except for.
1: I think that we didn't talk about it, but I think it's kind of one of the sweet parts that I think is like so tender of this volume is when foxglove reveals that she although she's upset about how hazel got pregnant she is just willing to absorb that baby into and make a family and i think that's nice yeah
0: that's what i was saying was like i think with judy and donna in 24 excuse me judy and donna in 24 hours Gaiman was trying to be like hey a gay relationship can be just as flawed as any heterosexual relationship But he ended up going too far. And this is an attempt to be like, a gay relationship, a gay relationship can be just as flawed, but ultimately viable and loving as any heterosexual relationship can be. Which is good because we get so many, like, (laughs) that's part of what, when I draw, drew the comparison between Hazel and Homer Simpson, like I was being kind of shitty, but I was also being sincere. Like, pop culture is full of stories of the, like, dumbass husband who fucks up but his wife still loves him and it's like we get a really nice queer version of that with hazel and foxglove's relationship
1: this episode this issue is the issue that made me really get mad at barbie because <laughs> she goes through this whole story arch and she deals with morpheus and dot 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 cuckoo and then it cuts to the scene where she's getting dressed and she's still painting her face in this weird way. She's still baffled by her own existence. She has not had one inch of personal growth through the whole chap- five chapters to, the, to this.
0: I understand how it's frustrating. Because I think the thing... What, the personal growth she had is that... Not really that she... She hasn't learned anything except that she needs to learn things. Because at the very end, like her big character moment for herself... Is when she's talking to Wanda's aunt Who's asking her what you're going to do next And she's basically like I don't know what I'm going to do Like that's her big character arc Is going from not caring To learning That she needs to acknowledge That she doesn't know And I understand how that's really frustrating Because from a certain perspective That's nothing That's a lateral move But I, I sort of understand it
1: so this whole, ep- this whole issue is basically Barbie going to Wanda's funeral and realizing that Wanda's reactionary family, the very conservative Midwest family, has decided to bury Wanda, who died in the house collapse, as a man.
0: Yeah. So th- this is the other big misstep. I really don't like <laughs> that he kills Wanda off at the end. It's It feels completely unnecessary this happens so often to trans and just like queer characters in general is they have to die for drama's sake and it's not hard to read this as like oh wanda needs to die for barbie to do her character arc and that's not especially cool i think the barbie's reaction to wanda's death and the thing she does at the very end of this issue is very sweet and nice and i like that moment a lot but i definitely think it was a misstep To kill Wanda like this.
1: I see this episode almost, this issue almost like the... What was the episode with Facade? Where... Oh, uh,
0: wasn't that just called Facade? Facade. Um, With the element woman.
1: With the element woman. Where it's the same thing happens after Wanda's death and that she's buried as a man and Barbie tries to fix it by writing Wanda on the... Um, gravestone
0: and putting the comic right on the coffin the-, the
1: comic and that's the where they have the interlude where she meets the kind of jerky who looks like, kind of like lucius
0: uh yeah he does he's got like weird like spiky balding hair and a like warts on his face yeah
1: but anyway she buys the hyperman and she she buries it but at the very very end of wanda's story arc You see Wanda and she's transformed into a beautiful, very sort of classical style of what a woman looks like in Wanda's mind. And she's with death. And both of them are like, bye, you know, like, so the same thing, like death steps in and fixes the problem.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that like, I like the, I like that Barbie does this thing for her friend and writes her real name on the tombstone because they, you know, they buried her under her dead name, which she clearly has a lot of problems with anytime it comes up. And like, I appreciate the, the imagery at the end with her and death being kind of like a hard refutation to any claim that Wanda was a man. I think her being transformed into this idealized woman is weird and unnecessary. Like it almost, I I get what they're doing and I, it's definitely well-meaning, but it's also Like, there's a reading of that that's like, like, Wanda was already a woman when she was the Wanda we saw in her life. So why couldn't she just look like how she looked when she was alive? But
1: I think that that's how a lot of people, the way that they see themselves inside may be different from the way that they're projected on the outside. Yeah, yeah. So it could easily, it was could be easily the same thing of like... You know, like a person goes to heaven and they're their idealized version of themselves. Yeah,
0: I know. I'm just saying, like I get it. I'm just And I
1: mean, I think to Wanda, the trappings of like traditional and societal beauty was important to her. Sure. Because that helped her identify as a woman.
0: Yeah, and I think there's also like like I said, just as much as you can read it the negative way I said, you can also read it as like that's just how Barbie imagines Wanda would want people to see her.
1: Right. But obviously she's happy because she's happy in the way that she's being portrayed and she's happy being yeah. with death. And of course death is always happy despite being death.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah that's a, uh, that's and, the whole thing. Oh, and then Wanda has a moment with, I mean, Barbie has a moment with Wanda's aunt where she's like, what are you going to do? And she's like, I don't know.
1: Well, and then it ends by her walking through the shady part of town to the bus stop and she's dressed like Jackie O and she's either prepping herself to be victimized some more or she's going to like have some moment of self-awareness. I like to think maybe she will be self-aware. So I don't know. Yeah. I kind of think there's also, I mean, the aunt is a perfect example and Maisie, the homeless woman. there's these older women that could possibly be a stand-in for the kindly ones, but you're never quite... it's never revealed.
0: Yeah, they're also I think both of them are portrayals of someone who is like well-meaning, but doesn't quite get it. Like, it's clear that Maisie... it's her nephew, right? Both of these women, their relationships to their nephews... or not nephews. That's bad. That's wrong with me. I shouldn't say that. They keep calling them their nephews. Their relationships to their nieces are they they're clearly like love them and care about them and want to support them but neither of them fully acknowledge these people's identities and like so we get kind of like three different things we have like barbie who totally gets it and you know is willing to go so far as to deface the tombstone with wanda's dead name on it and then you have someone like thessaly who completely rejects someone's identity because of this the way they were raised and the, their sort of older conception of identity in general, but women, womanhood specifically. And then you have this kind of middle ground of the like, well-meaning, but misguided aunts. It's weird that they're both aunts, but yeah.
1: Yeah. I think like there's a lot of this. um, There's a lot of this going on in this whole entire series of the Sandman about people One, having awful families. It's almost like a fairy tale where, or like, you know, like a Disney movie where your parents are either absent or they're awful. Everyone's family in this situation is absent or awful from roses down to like Wanda's. And then there's a lot of this whole concept of creating your own sort of family style. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what this is, like the dollhouse with the housemates and then the people who live in this boarding house and so i think that's kind of like a common theme of almost it's almost like a fantasy novel where you build this sort of team to help you fulfill this quest every one of these episodes is someone building a team to go and fight a quest
0: oh wait there's a thing we didn't talk about which is dream says that part of why this whole situation with the land and Barbie and the cuckoo is so fucked up is because of what Rose did in the right. doll's house when she connected everybody's dreams. Right,
1: and she tell does she tell that to she t- he tells that to Barbie? Yeah, because Barbie knows Rose.
0: Yeah, and then Fox Love brings up that and then Rose was friends with Judy.
1: It's the same thing with Rose and Barbie. They both sort of walk out of the situation like, "Hey, you know, no big deal." Well, I mean, they're like still flawed and deeply troubled, but they're not... Like, neither one of them, like... Like, in a fantasy or a fairy tale or a fable, they would wake up with some kind of understanding or self-awareness, and neither one of them really do. Like, Rose's, like, year-long pity party is because she doesn't want to examine the events of what happened.
0: Yeah, well, and then at the end, she decides to.
1: But I I like these issues, this volumes where there's a full and overarching storyline i like that Mm -hmm. i like that the issues were so openly female and embrace this sort of like i don't know it's like weird because neil gaiman has this sort of um i don't know if it's a fascination or as a man he feels like as an outside observer about this concept of like the women's world that's like a secret world that's that he has no way to enter i don't know what it is because he's kind of like fascinated with women and groups of women and what women do when there's no men around and like how women treat each other it's kind of like he's sort of fascinated by like women as like a cultural thing
0: yeah i think a lot of sandman in particular is Gaiman working through his relationships with women sometimes in more positive ways i think like this and in more negative ways like a lot of the i gotta learn to forgive them bullshit with dream and nada and all that stuff
1: yeah i think like like when you take like a women's studies class you in like an intro you learn a lot about this sort of concept they call the hearth culture where it's like women of multiple generations Raise children in a and sort of in an insular way where there's really no male interaction. Things are a lot different now because males are more involved in raising their children, but there was this sort of like strength in like this secret oral women's culture that where they would help each other learn how to raise children and and maintain homes and empower themselves in ways when they couldn't be empowered. You know, using learning how to use herbs to heal. So this almost like. It's not a bunch of witches, but it ha- it could be sort of a witch's culture. And I think the Kindly Ones are like that. Yeah. They're like a throwback to the time where women relied more on other women to help them live their lives. Yeah. And I think that's sort of very fascinating to Neil Gaiman. He goes back to that a lot, this whole concept of the woman as a goddess, the woman as a witch, the woman, woman as an independent you know, entity, a self rescuing princess or
0: yeah and I think you can also see it in the way that like you have these women characters that are sort of more connected and have this community and pretty much all of the major male characters in the Sandman are isolated and alienated and struggling with like loneliness and an inability to connect I mean you have Dream who's the loneliest being in the universe and then you have like Hob who's like immortal and keeps making these like fleeting connections with people that never last and only has this one lasting connection with dream. And you have someone like Richard Madoc, who's like an awful person, but he's portrayed as like having no meaningful sort of like connections and friendships in his family as being, or he has, he's portrayed as having no meaningful friendships or family. And that seems to be part of why he's so fucking awful.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can see that. There were a lot of fantasy and literature references, or a lot of sort of allusion to that kind of thing. I got a Wizard of Oz vibe, sort of an Alice in Wonderland vibe. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, yeah. So that was kind of interesting. Well, I think
0: that's part of the idea. It's the slow realization that this dream world is like, it's built on not just Barbie, the stories Barbie told herself, but on lots and lots of people's stories of a Mm -hmm. fantasy world and an Unknown or a you know mysterious powerful lineage that you weren't aware that you possessed.
1: I think that's true because at the part where Morpheus comes and he's absorbing the land and all of the people and characters that live in the land are marching towards um, Morpheus's coat, which of course everyone knows it's a big iconic part of the Sandman. But when you see that panel, that long panel, and it has all those fictional characters. Some, you can't recognize what characters they are, but you can see like a, a like a giant bear and a kind of an elfish character. So then you realize that they, these are all fantasy characters that, that live in this land that have this history that you don't know about.
0: Yeah, Barbie even mentions and, that like so a lot, she starts to realize after a while that a lot of these characters were not created by her. Right. And were in fact created by the countless other people that inhabited the land over the years. And that's part of the idea. It's like we all share this space at some point when we're kids. And at some point you have to let go of it and figure out who you are outside of that. And Barbie ends up not being able to do that for a while. And this story is about her realizing... It's, It's weird because you would think it would be about her doing that. But the story is actually about her realizing she needs to do it. And we don't actually see her develop her own identity at any point in the story.
1: Yeah, I think it's like the dollhouse. It's complicated and it's problematic, but overall the story is interesting and I think it's it's successful in the way that it's trying to portray some of the things. There's lots of missteps like with Wanda mm-hmm. and Hazel, but I think I think overall I think it it fits into the story, the the very overarching story of the Sandman, man and it kind of sets up what's coming with the kindly ones yeah yeah i don't know if it's the middle part of a trilogy with the kindly ones but it's definitely
0: i I don't like i said i don't know i feel like the kindly ones is kind of its own thing i see this like i see this and the dollhouse as being reflections of each other and the kindly ones being kind of its own story that does build on the stuff that happens in both those volumes but isn't really like a continuation
1: So, the next one up is Volume 6, Fables and Reflections. So, we'll do that one. But next, what are we doing?
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, We are... Then our next episode is going to be our last episode of 2018. Right?
1: It's going to be our last non-Sandman episode.
0: No, I I think this... If I have the timing correct, this is the first episode of December. And the next episode will be the second episode of December.
1: Okay. Yes, you're correct.
0: And so we are going to discuss one short story because entirely because I wanted to, I like this story and I wanted to talk about it while it was seasonally appropriate. And that's The Wolves of Brooklyn by Catherine Valenti. Uh, that's another, I think that's another Lightspeed Magazine story. So it's available online. I'm pretty sure there's an audio version of it if people want to listen to that. I'll drop a link on our Twitter account. You can follow us at Dried Up Brains, I think. Yes. That's our Twitter account? Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing we're going to do. Is we're going to do a yearly roundup. We're going to go through and talk about, what did you decide, top five?
1: Yeah, of what we read in 2018. Yeah. Not books that were published in 2018. No, no, because I only
0: read two books that were published in 2018.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to talk about my year-long adventure of reading the Hugo Award-winning novels.
0: And I promise you there won't be a third discussion about how boring psy is.
1: I've already been told that I talk, for for not liking psy so much, I talk about it a lot. And you know. know what? This is the third discussion of side Team.
0: <laughs> but yeah, so you're are you you're not done the Hugo Award list. No. Of,
1: I you? have I have six more to go.
0: Yeah, but you're on the home stretch and you've been reading them all through twenty eighteen. So.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Yeah, so we'll talk about that. Um that's and then
1: funny. then we have to talk about Hope Never Dies.
0: Oh yeah, we finally will we'll talk about Hope Never Dies, the Obama Biden mystery. So yeah, next episode, the Wolves of Brooklyn hope never dies top five things we read in 2018
1: i think that's enough that's a lot
0: yeah it's gonna be a packed episode tune in spoiler alert stay tuned and sweet dreams
1: bye everyone